All right. Well, uh, one thing I did forget to mention, by the way, in this, this, this adoption of Valley Junior High, um, one of the things that we are also going to do is not just for the students, but also for uh, the teachers and faculty that are there. And for those of you who made your way to the lobby already, you might have noticed in the corner over here, we have a, a table set up and a bunch of note cards. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that we are going to be doing is writing encouraging notes to the teachers and to the faculty of Valley Junior High. Uh, we need words of encouragement right now uh, in our world, and I think we can be a loud voice uh, to, uh, to these teachers and encouraging them in this uncertain time for them as well. And so we're going to undertake to write uh, these uh, kind of thank you notes, pre-thank you notes, and encouraging them uh, with uh, really for, for many of them they recognize what they are doing as a calling, even if it's not to them spiritual, but there's a calling to them uh, to be a teacher and an educator. And uh, we are so grateful for all of our educators, uh, but in particular for Valley Junior High. So if you'd like more information, make your way out into the lobby immediately following, uh, following our service uh, this morning. Um, and then also, uh, Marvella Smith uh, just heard word that she had passed away uh, yesterday, I believe it was. And uh, for those who don't know, Robert and Marvella were the ones who uh, pretty much planted this church back many, many years ago. And uh, Marvella passed away in Grand Junction, uh, kind of after a long battle uh, with, uh, with deteriorating health. And so we're praying for the Smith family, praying for God's blessing on them. And as we get more information, we'll certainly uh, spread that uh, information as well. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Probably every single week we're going to start off uh, by reading this scripture verse. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is really these foundational uh, phrases for Paul as he's writing uh, to this church. And uh, today, uh, the, the title of today's message is, You Can't Persuade Me. And uh, it's so funny that, uh, I mean, well, I can be persuaded actually pretty easily at times, and I just ask my children. Um, I'll, I'll say no, and then my no will turn to a yes later on, uh, right, uh, Catherine, who's down here in the front, uh, front row? Uh, you know, I'm just, I, I am pretty easygoing. I don't know if most of you have figured that out by now. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty easygoing, and, and uh, I can be persuaded. Shelly's a master at, uh, at persuasion for me. It's an art form for my children. Uh, they they came, up, came up with ideas and ways to change dad's mind. And, uh, but there, there are certain things as, as parents that we do. Uh, do you have catchphrases where you don't want to answer yes or no at the moment? We were laughing about this, uh, Chris and I, uh, the other day. Uh, you... you uh, you don't want to say no, but you don't want to say yes. And so then you, for me, it was, we'll see. And, you know, and I would say, oh, we'll see. The kids would say, hey, dad, can we do? And I'd say, we'll see, which generally meant no, but I didn't want to say no because I was still open, but it would, but anyway, okay. So I can be persuaded at times. <laughs> uh, Stretching all the way back to Aristotle. We got a picture of Aristotle that was taken uh, back, uh, back in those days. There it is. Uh, Aristotle, uh, about 300 years before Christ. The art of persuasion was already being uh, kind of mapped out by Aristotle. And he was uh, talking, this is about 300 BC, maybe 320 BC, somewhere around there. And uh, um, has been part of this dynamic of relationships uh, for centuries. And he was incredibly influential in his day. And let me read for you a few quotes and, and uh, let me know if, if you think that these are even powerful for today. Uh, educating the mind without educating the heart is no education at all. Aristotle, 
350 BC. That's pretty incredible. I count him braver who overcomes his desires than him who conquers his enemies, for the hardest victory is over self. I would say that that's actually true, (laughs) absolutely true. The society that loses its grip on the past is in danger, for it produces men who know nothing but the present and who are not aware that life had been and could be different from what it is. Might be a word for today, right? Aristotle, 350 B.C., So he came up with what is still used today when it comes to levels uh, that are necessary for persuasion. And this goes to much more than just persuasion, but this is how he used it and is uh, kind of how he was teaching back then. And yet we're going to get to uh, Paul here in just a minute and some things, but this sets a foundation for it. He had this idea of ethos, pathos, and logos, all right? So ethos is credibility. Ethos is this idea that when you're persuading someone, you need to show your credibility to begin with. That might be education, it might be your experience, or whatever that is. So you have this ethos, it's you are credible. And when people are listening to you, they're asking the question, are you credible in what they are, in what you are attempting to persuade them towards? Are you credible? The next one is pathos, and this is the idea of emotion. This is that emotional centerpiece uh, that we all have. And so people can persuade on an emotional level. And in fact, this is what we see going on around us most of the time. Social media is pathos communication. That's what it is almost entirely because people without thinking, that's the next level, without thinking, just write something out there. And so the rage mob gets a hold of this thing and without thinking about it and without looking at credibility, respond emotionally to the moment. And so emotions are incredibly powerful. And uh, Aristotle back then recognized that and said, this is the most dangerous of the, uh, of, um, of the ways to persuade people because if it's just emotional, the emotions go away eventually, and then the persuasion leaves that person, and they return to the way that they were. And then the last level is that of logos, which is the, the logical center for persuasion. This is the mind being convinced of something that it was convinced of to begin with. And so that's that process of exploration and understanding and study and all of that. And so anytime that somebody is trying to persuade you or to work through arguments, these three things are at work in every one of us. And I would uh, venture to say that uh, Paul knew Aristotle, not knew him personally, but knew of the teachings of Aristotle. The early church would have known about it because this was Greek 101 was Aristotle and some of the other great leaders uh, from way back then. And one of the other things Aristotle said was character may almost be called the most effective means of persuasion. And I wholeheartedly agree with that because the character represents all of who you are. Are you consistent with what you believe? Are you consistent in the way that you live your life? Are you consistent? And Aristotle was saying that, uh, yeah, this, your character is what shines when you are persuading people. So this is great to keep in mind as you work through today's message in Galatians. So quick background uh, to set us up. Paul, whom we discovered last week, is a piece of work. How many of you know somebody who's a piece of work? Can you point to them? No, don't do that. Online, don't do that, right? Yeah, don't, don't like comment on somebody. They're a piece of work and don't comment, please. Um, so uh, he's a piece of work who is transformed by an encounter with Jesus. That could probably said about, that could be said about many of us, that we are a piece of work that has been transformed uh, by the power of Jesus. So he's writing this letter to an area known as Galatia, which uh, is in today's kind of central Turkey uh, area. It's a Roman province but it's not a very well-off Roman province. Poverty is a way of life. 
Uh, most of the population is kind of on the edge of human existence. Uh, there's not a whole lot of mobility for, this, uh, for these people. Uh, they, whatever their lot in life is, that is their lot in life, and nothing changes for them. The towns of Galatia are dirty, smelly, and unsafe. Average life expectancy for men at this time is 45. Average life expectancy for women is 38. Marriage for women occurs in their early teens. For the Jewish families uh, there, uh, 30% of the population die before the age of 18. For the Gentile community, that number goes up to almost 50% of the population dies before the age of 18. And it's to this kind of culture that God sends Paul, and Paul on this journey in, in the book of Acts, uh, Paul has a friend with him named Barnabas. And God calls them to go to this area, one of the, I mean, the poverty beyond poverty in a stricken communities, one after another after another who are oppressed. And God says, I want you to go there. And I want you to tell about Jesus. And so they do. They go and they tell about Jesus. And they are there for a couple of months through that whole area, not just one town, but that whole area just for a few months that they're telling about Jesus. And nobody visits that area from the church. Remember, the church is brand new. There are not very many Christians in the world at this time. But nobody visits that area of Galatia for about two years. And yet the churches are growing and thriving during that time. It talks about the power of transformation. And the power of the words that Paul was speaking, the gospel of Christ, and persuading those people who were there saying, this is the way that you should live your life. You should live your life according to Jesus. And here's what that means. And he would teach them about Jesus. But that's only part of the story. And the reason for uh, Paul writing the letter to the Galatian church is because uh, there was some trouble brewing uh, more recently in that two-year history that had passed. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So Paul is deeply troubled by what he's hearing from reports that uh, the Galatian churches, those in that area, uh, that they're beginning to flounder just a little bit because uh, people are coming in and telling them, oh, you know what Paul said, that's not the whole thing. So we're going we're gonna to tell you what the, the fuller uh, measure is. And we're going to get to that, what, what Paul was really dealing with here in the next couple of weeks. But there's this passion that Paul had. Remember, Paul was out there persecuting the church. Paul was incredibly emotionally engaged being a Pharisee. That did not change when he came to Christ. He was deeply emotionally engaged as well as his mind, as well as, um, you know, the, uh, just this ethos part of his life, this credibility part. Every bit of his life totally engaged in following after Jesus. And so he is zealous for the church. He's heard about the churches he planted, that they're straying from the gospel that he's preached. Like a father hearing about one of his children uh, straying away, uh, he's going to go to whatever lengths it takes uh, to make sure that he helps, uh, saves, protects his children. That's really how he viewed uh, this church, kind of his children. He's like, I'm going to do everything I can to protect. It made me think I've got this uh, story here, um, and I forget where I picked it up from, but this just happened uh, within the last week. A Texas father saves children and babysitter from a massive 600-pound alligator. 
First of all, why are you living in an area that has 600-pound alligators? That's the first question I want to answer. But the second thing is, that's like gutsy, right? This dad was able to, to, to work out a way to save his kids and his babysitter from, uh, from an alligator. I've got a couple of videos. Can I show you a couple of videos here of dads saving the day? All right, so a couple of, a couple of these here. Real quick. There we go. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. Perfect catch by a dad. Watch the backhand here. Hard to see that one. Are you swinging on your new swing? Oh. Whoa! Dad was right there. Swing. Or Sailor. Sailor? Boom. Look at that. That. That is perfect, right? And this is what's happening right now. First of all, don't ever put kids on top of those little, uh, little plastic things, parent, little parent 101, don't do that. Secondly, that dad was fast. I like that. And this is kind of what Paul was, was working through. He's going, there's trouble brewing, and I need to do what I can uh, to get to the church, to, to be able to speak to the church. And at that time, it was through letters like this. Nothing's going to stop Paul from reaching the Galatian church. So what motivated him in all of this? Why did the passion so animate this letter that he's writing to the Galatian church and this insistence upon the gospel that he had uh, brought to the church? In Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through uh, chapter 2, verse 10, which is a pretty long period. That's what we're going to be going through today, okay? It's a pretty, pretty lengthy uh, set of scriptures here. But it all deals with one thing, and this is Paul explaining his heart for the gospel of Christ. And so there's some things for us to consider this morning as we look at this passionate individual and the relationship with Jesus that he had and why it was so important for him. So number one. And this is what animates Paul. This is what kind of drives him. Number one, Paul's experience with Jesus was his own. Paul's experience with Jesus was his own. So in Acts chapter 9, which we read a little bit, uh, little bit about this uh, last week, Acts chapter 9, while Paul was on the road to Damascus, remember that he opposed Jesus. He hated Christians, those that were part of the way is what it says in the book of Acts. He hated, he despised them, and yet Jesus still stopped Paul. Still had a plan for Paul, right? Paul was there giving approval of murder. So in essence, murdering, right? So he's out there doing this and Jesus says, Paul, I've got a plan for your life and stops him. Galatians chapter one, verse 15. But when God who set me apart before I was born, so after this encounter with Jesus, Paul begins to realize God has had his hand on my life, my entire life, right? The goodness of God, we sang it earlier, right? My entire life, God, I've seen your goodness, even though I didn't recognize it. But when God, who set me apart before I was born, called me through his grace, he was pleased to reveal his son to me. Paul had his own encounter with Jesus, a whole series of things, of events, happened in Paul's con conversion. He was blinded. He was prayed for by a reluctant, uh, by, by a Christian guy who was reluctant to pray for him because he knew that Paul was the one who was out there killing people and arresting people, wanted nothing to do with them. And God tells this guy, says, Ananias' name, says, it's okay, pray for him because I've got a plan for him. So kind of encouraging Paul through that. And he's prayed for, he's healed. I mean, just an incredible series of things that happened in Paul's life. So after he came to faith, the Bible reveals that he spent some time away, that he didn't jump into uh, things because he, I mean, right away, and actually he spent years in study, 
years kind of in solitude working out what this salvation was, what it actually meant for him. Because remember, he was steeped in Judaism as a Pharisee, and it took that long for him to kind of unwind and unpack everything that God was speaking to him. And so, and I think that this is super important, um, super important for it, uh, for him in this, is that he says that it was who called, called me, right? God called him through grace, through grace. For how many of you has God extended grace to your life? You don't deserve his unmerited favor. That's the word grace, his unmerited favor. You don't deserve it, and yet it's been extended. And Paul was wrestling with this. Imagine knowing that God had called him, and yet here are all of the things that Paul did wrong, and he could begin to, to, to lay down everything he had done wrong, everything that Jesus had said against Pharisees, Paul had done. He had added weights to people that Paul was unwilling to carry himself. He had told people that, you know, you need to do X, Y, Z, and maybe Paul himself, in all of his zeal, wasn't following through on all of that stuff himself, and he was out there killing and, uh, and uh, breathing murderous threats against the church. And one of the things that you see over and over again in Paul's uh, letters is you see grace to you. And I think every single letter, Paul says grace to you, and sometimes he adds peace, but he says grace to you. This becomes kind of his call sign and his explanation of every bit of his life. God was extending grace to me. Now I need to extend that grace to you. This is what Paul is doing, just that, that flow of grace in his life. Um, remembering that he was the one who was opposed to Jesus. His experience with Jesus was uniquely his own. No one had coached him in this. That's why he kind of went away and said, I got to make sure that this is real. No one coached him in it. He hadn't been to a church service he hadn't been part of any of that stuff, and yet Jesus stopped him in his tracks and called him by grace and said, Paul, I've prepared you from, from before you were born. I have set you up, and I'm calling you. Um, in the early 90s, Shelly and I had a vacuum cleaner. We inherited one. I believe it was a, uh, a Kirby. Anybody remember Kirby vacuum cleaners? the big chrome ones, right? And they had little bumpers on the side of them. Fantastic, right? Ours was pretty old and pretty tired. It was probably from the 60s. It was probably my, my parents. Uh, and I can't remember if that's the one we had at this time or not. So I could be messing up the story entirely. Shelly will let me know if I totally butcher the story and I'll get it right for next service. Um, but uh, this guy one day comes knocking on our door. Totally the proverbial vacuum salesman. And it was for an Electrolux. Anybody remember Electrolux, right? I don't even know if they're still around, right? And it was this canister thing, and it was beautiful. It was shinier than our, uh, than our vacuum. And at this moment, uh, every level of persuasion is being worked against us. This guy comes in. He's credible. This guy comes in. He's emotionally telling us that we're going to kill our children if we don't buy his vacuum, right? I mean, that's, what, that's, that's the vacuum salesman, right? You know, you got all that stuff. And then on the, uh, the log side, the logical side, so we vacuumed our floor, and then he came back with his and vacuumed it up and got like twice as much dirt up out of our clean floor. And everything was within us going, we need this. This is going to change our lives. This is going to create within our home a safe environment. It's going to kill coronavirus. It's going to do everything right. And we were persuaded until logic took over and we looked at the price tag <laughs> of that. And we went, yeah, forget you, buddy, <laughs> right? You are not going to persuade me. And this is kind of in Paul's world right here. Nobody is going to persuade him away from this experience that he had had with Jesus Christ. This was his own. 
Nobody else was going to take that from him. So Paul's relationship with Jesus was his own. And then the second part of this um, is this idea, number two, Paul's calling was more than just, or Paul's calling was to more than just belief. Paul's calling was to more than just belief. I'm going to invite the worship team to uh, come on up at this time. So he goes on in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. He says, God was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles. God was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles. Jesus knocked Paul off of his horse for more than just to prove that he is Jesus. Jesus didn't just do it, hey, I'm Jesus knocking you off your horse. But there was something more that was going on in Paul's life. There was a purpose to the grace that was being given to him. And this was a call. It was a unique call to a group of people that Paul hated. Maybe even more than the church that Paul was persecuting, Paul hated the Gentiles. Between Jews and Gentiles, there was always this friction. There was always something going on, and and, uh, there was no value seen between any of them. And yet in that moment, in that season of time that God was dealing with, with Paul, in this very real encounter with Jesus, God was telling Paul, I'm calling you to a group of people that nobody else is reaching. I'm calling you to a group of people that you don't like. But Paul, I have prepared you for this. You see, Paul had received the best education under someone by the name of Gamaliel, or Gamaliel, right? He had received this incredible uh, education that was across, uh, across all these mountains. That's why you see Paul quoting, uh, quoting Greek philosophers and other people like that, because Paul knew all of that stuff. He knew how to communicate in a world that was against Jews at that time. And God said, Paul, I'm calling you a Jew to reach the people that you were supposed to be reaching to begin with but I'm calling you because I prepared you. And so Paul was concerned. What I'm hearing from God, is this right? Do you ever question what God is uh, speaking to you? <laughs> God, are you really telling me to do this? And so in that season, while Paul was waiting, he's trying to figure all this out. He eventually goes back to the church in Jerusalem. And this is huge, folks. This is that accountability part of our experience with Jesus. Right? There's something about the community of faith that we've got to value. It keeps us from going off the rails. It keeps us from going off onto the deep end of, of areas and you know, faith that's just not true biblical faith. And so what did Paul do? It says in, uh, in Galatians chapter 2, uh, verse 7, right around there, um, where, where Paul is talking to all of these leaders. And he wants to go to them and say, okay, this is the experience I've had. This is the calling that I have. Is this right? I don't want to be running in vain where, what God is calling me to. In verse chapter, chapter 2, verse 7, on the contrary, when they, who's the they? The they is Peter, right? We know Peter. John, the beloved disciple, and then James, the brother of Jesus. says, on the contrary, when they saw I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised. Those are for the non-Jew, for the Gentile. When they had seen that I had been entrusted with this gospel, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel for the circumcised, so God had called Peter to go to the Jews, for he worked through Peter, making him an apostle to the circumcised, also worked through me in sending me to the Gentiles. 
The Bible says that they extended the right hand of fellowship to Paul and to Barnabas and said, yes, this is right. God has called you to do this. And I love it. I'm sure that there are some, some like Peter and, and uh, James and John, they might have been going, shoo, I'm so glad God called somebody else to go to a people that we don't like. Right? I'm just being real here. There are times when you say the same thing about people around you. Man, I'm so glad they work there because I would never work there. But you never know God's called them to work in that place to reach people that you wouldn't be able to reach. I'm so glad that they were called to be on the mission field to some other place I would never go. Oh, (laughs) you never know that God might call you in a season like this when everything's in upheaval. And I think right now, especially with the coronavirus, there's a lot going on beyond just the coronavirus, folks. There's a lot going on in the church and people are wondering, is my faith real? Is my faith like the faith of someone like Paul who had a real experience with Jesus? And they're wondering now because you might be sitting at home and wondering, is, is, is church really to me what it's supposed to be? Does church really matter? Right? I've asked that question. As your pastor, I've asked that question. God, should we only always ever be online? It is so much easier to just be online. Don't have to preach and see people with masks and wonder, are they smiling? Are they frowning? What's going on behind those masks, right? So much easier online. And yet, I believe in all of this season, God is bringing to the forefront the reality of the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ and just how real it is and should be that God has called us to one another because there's so much discouragement in the world I love getting together like this and I love being online I mean I'm online during the week I love that because it's those moments of encouragement that we can have with one another as we seek to follow after the Lord that unique experience every one of us have in transformation and I would add to that unique calling that God has placed on every one of our lives. And I believe from before we were born, God says, I'm calling you. I'm leading you to work in a factory because the person you're working next to needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm calling you to be in education because in the ways that you can, you can be an influence on the next generation. I'm calling you to be in management. I'm calling you to be in leadership. I'm calling you to be a postman. I'm calling you, whatever that is, I am calling you just like Paul, you're going somewhere that nobody else can go because God's called you from before you were born. Um, So as we close out today, I'm going to invite you to uh, stand to your feet. There are two parts of this, uh, this message. The very first part is that relationship with Jesus. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. That first part is really the most important part because that's what, um, that's, that was the beginning for Paul of him setting his life apart, <laughs> of God setting that apart. Even though it was from before he was born, it was this moment of transformation that Jesus was bringing. That was the moment. And so today could be your moment as well. You're here today, you're on, watching online, and you know your life is on a trajectory away from God. 
Maybe you've been a part of Life Church and you're just tuning in, but, but the faith that you have proclaimed in the past is just not real like it has been. Something has kind of snuck in in this time of coronavirus, uncertainty, and, and so many of those things have snuck in. And you'd say, Pastor, I either need to serve Jesus for the very first time or I need to recommit myself to him. Give myself to him in this step. I need to be like Paul and maybe I need to get knocked off my horse. Maybe I need to stop my car in its tracks. <laughs> maybe I need to, uh, to change my life at this point and Jesus is calling you. If that's you, uh, you're here this morning in person or you are online. If you're here in person this morning, if that's you, can you just lift your hand really quickly? If you are online, uh, your way of response here will be in just a moment. So thank you very much for your hand. Anybody else this morning, kind of in that position of uncertainty and thank you very much up in the balcony. Thank you. I'd like us all to repeat a very simple prayer after me. It's uh, nothing magical about it, but it's just uh, maybe helping with, uh, helping with the words. And so everybody can repeat after me and online as well. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for stopping me. Jesus, have grace on me. Forgive my sins. Wash me clean. And Jesus, transform my life. Help me to follow you and recognize you as first place in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For those of you who made that decision this morning, I'm going to encourage you. Uh, you can text the word journey to 754. Let's uh, text the word journey to 74754. Just have some, uh, some very simple audio encouragement for you over the next month or so. Uh, please take advantage of that if you can. Uh, and that's, that's text journey to 74754. The second part of this uh, this morning is that uh, recognition of our unique calling that God has for each one of us. No matter where you are, if you're on the road, I'm looking at someone who drives on the road, you're on the road and going across the country on a weekly basis, right? Or you are at home, you're a stay-at-home mom, whatever that is, it is a unique calling that God has called you to. Never be ashamed of that calling. Never be ashamed of what you feel like is little at this point in your life because God is going to use it phenomenally, I believe, just like Paul was used by God. So let's bow our heads again. Father, I thank you. And Lord, I believe, God, that you are calling us to a unique calling, just like that initial call to relationship with you is unique for every one of us. That, God, you would set your blessing and anointing upon everybody who's here today, everybody who's online. God, they're wondering whether their life matters. They're wondering, God, whether, whether their life is as uh, consequential to the world around them. God, I believe, just like Paul, that you have set us apart from before we were born. God, your word says in Psalm 139, God, that, that you knew us before we were born. God, that you have mapped out our lives. And God, you invite us to participate with you because, God, you have a dream for us. And so, God, for that single mom, you've got a dream and God, you've got a calling. God, for that, uh, that CEO or that, that other uh, that person in management or God, executive management, God, you have an incredible calling upon their lives. God, for that laborer, Lord, you have got an incredible open door for ministering to those around them that nobody else would minister to, God. And so, Lord, help us to have that perspective in our life that, God, we have a calling on our lives. And so, God, help us to lead with that calling in every interaction that we have. God, help us to never be off the clock when it comes to the way that we live our lives. And so, Lord, that we would honor and please you with everything we do. God, I thank you for that calling on every, every life. Lord, continue to guide us and direct us. Father, I pray your blessing upon your people.
God, I ask that you would make your face to shine upon them, that, God, you would give them grace and peace, and that, Lord, you would help us to walk boldly before our God. Lord, we thank you this day. God, we give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for being here today. I know God's got a great plan for your lives. Uh, Don't forget the note cards out there. There's some instructions out there, so we'll make sure you know there. Next week, uh, we're going to have a tough subject we're talking about. We're going to be talking about conflict and kind of how to resolve conflict because Paul didn't get along with everybody. He even didn't get along with everybody in the church, and we're going to talk about conflict in the church in particular, but beyond that, just kind of uh, rules for conflict in our lives. So see you next week. God bless you.